When I first woke up from surgery, I was laying in the bed and I knew what had happened. I, I remembered it, I, I knew I was paralyzed. And I'm kind of going through my body, trying to flex muscles. And I get to my right bicep and I got just the slightest, slightest little flinch. And over 14 years, that has turned into this. My name is Jeremy, I'm 42 years old. When I was 28, I was involved in a diving accident up in Holland Lake, which left me a C5 incomplete quadriplegic. I still have feeling and sensation in my body. Um, the biggest thing for me are the, the muscle spasms and they it's like anybody who has a calf cramp um, that hurts bad. I know I feel it a little different, but I get them 100 times a day, at least. Um, but after 14 years, you kind of learn to, you just have to deal with it, you know? When I was 28, I was in a very bad place. I was an alcoholic, I was a drug addict. I was spiraling out of control. Um, and then I went up north with my brother. It was that night we decided to go to the bar and made bad decisions. He jumped off the right side of the dock, I jumped off the left, we both broke our necks. Um, he fortunately um, did not become paralyzed. Um, and that was, it was hard on my dad. My dad was there to see it. Uh, I realized that PTSD is, it's real and it, it will get you, it will get you good. The biggest struggle was spiritually. It was, I was just, it was full of anger. It was full of hate. I cursed God every day in September 2012. I went on a 30-day drinking binge and wasn't coming home. Uh, I wasn't taking any of my medications. And then, you know, now come up to 2018, it wasn't the liquor and the drugs that were hiding my feelings anymore. It was, it came out as rage. And um, I didn't care what I said to anybody who I hurt. It was, if it was what I felt, it was being said. And then suicide attempt after suicide attempt. I just wanted to end it. I, I just, I didn't want any more part of anything. I would not get out of bed, so I was laying flat and getting pneumonia. I remember I was in the hospital and I talked to my sister and I, I, I just had to talk to her. I asked her, I said, Katie, how do you stay calm? She said, Jeremy, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. 
and then she said, I think there's some people that I'd, I would like you to talk to if you're willing and open. And that's when she talked to you, and you talked to Jeff, and Jeff and I have been talking every week since. I think the biggest thing was when Jeremy and I first started, you know, talking face to face, no airs, no games, no smoke and mirrors, just truth. Mm -hmm. it, I felt like I was talking to a friend of mine that I haven't talked to in a, couple, in a few years. It's like Jeff knew what it was that I was seeking. I wasn't, I, I wanted spirituality, I wanted calmness, I wanted peace. Jeff just, he just said, hey, are you ready to commit your life to Jesus? And if so, pray with me. And, and we prayed and it's been awesome, truly awesome since. There were several people in attendance for that. They wanted to be a part of that as mm -hmm. well. And, and they were just sobbing out loud at what a profound thing was happening to yeah. your heart and how much that even meant to them and how much they had prayed for this to happen. And we just made it real. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. I didn't hold anything back and Jeff did not judge. He just immediately was just like, hey, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna help you go through this. We're gonna do this side by side. Absolutely, brother. And it's been awesome. I finally started to not just pray to God, but just to talk to him, talk to Jesus. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, I'm weak, I'm hurting, and I need you. And you know, one thing that Jeff picked up on right away was this, one of the videos of your summer sessions that you guys do. And it was the one about uh, warrior angels. And now that's in my prayers every day. It's warrior angels. And I use that video in everyday reference when I'm talking to people. Um, I talk to people, who, some of my friends who are hurting, and I just talk to them. We just talk. And that's the way that it is with my relationship with Christ. It's just talk. I know carpenters. I, my father was a carpenter. And if there's one thing that carpenters like to do, that is work. So let Jesus work. Let him do what he's gonna do. And just, and when I finally stuck to that, it just, I could feel the weight lifting off my heart and it, it was awesome. There are truly nights where I get up here and I think to myself, the message has already been preached. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm just going to come in and I'm going to join Jeremy in that story. I want us tonight to spend some time in our own hearts and our own souls because the songs we sang even before, nothing is impossible for God. Hallelujah. 
If, if, if you just needed to hear that tonight, nothing is impossible for God. The renewal on this man's face as he talks about what it is like to know Jesus personally as his savior now, it's astonishing. It's breathtaking. It's gripping. And I, I have a personal message from him to you. He wants you, he wants people to take his story, which can fly like eagles, and that testimony about Jesus into the world. He wants people to hear what Jesus has done for him. And that is remarkable. That is such a potent and powerful expression of what's actually happening for him to be made new, for him to be changed, for him to say, Jesus, you're a carpenter. You're a worker. I'm ready, finally ready for you to do your work on me. I want to pray together and then I want to jump right into a story that so parallels Jeremy's story tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I just invite you. I invite you into this space, Lord. We're listening. Holy Spirit, we want you. We do, we truly desire you. And yet in that desire, there are so often so many things that try to steal us away from you, to bar the door, to make barriers. So many things that, cl that clutter, that crowd in and, and try to obscure our connection to you. God, I just ask tonight, that they would be removed. God, there are, there are your precious children in this room who need to see a story that you have given us. Jesus, an example, a remarkable tale that you want us to know, that you want us to ingest that you want us to take home with us, that you want us to be changed by, that you want us to see. And God, I ask, I ask for the miracle of you in this place right now to, to do that work that we desperately need you to do so we can see and so we can hear and so we can understand with the eyes of our heart. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We are going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, the first 15 verses. And I would encourage you to turn there. I want you to follow along. I want you to, to, to dwell in this passage, in this story with me, to have the word of God and his truth right in front of you. And so as, as we do this, please read along. If you don't have your device or an ability to do that, we're going to have the story up on the screen as well so that you can participate. Here goes John chapter 5, starting in verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem... 
near the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. I love that, stirring up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One One who was there had been an invalid, circle invalid, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Circle, highlight, underline. Sir, the invalid replied. There's there's some indignation in his voice. Sir. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Circle, no one to help, and someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, take stock. I want to take just a second. Take stock of words that give you time frames in Scripture as you're reading. Later, we need to know because there's a very purposeful way that Jesus comes back around to find this man. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Circle that or underline, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now here's what I want you to know. I want to set the context a little bit in this passage, okay? This particular location has been architecturally challenged for years. The story in John has actually been debunked, particularly by liberal theologians or secular scholars, because the argument goes something like this. None of the mikvahs or the cleansing pool in Jerusalem had any sort of porticos around. That is abnormal. In fact, We can't find colonnades. These porticos were columns that would come up and they would provide a roof, which was actually shade. And in this case, the theory was that that shade would have covered uh, places where the lame and the sick needed to rest as they waited. So so for, for the longest time, this part of John was actually questioned as maybe illegitimate and not necessarily true. But isn't it fascinating how God comes around and shows himself to us, reveals himself. In 1964, an archaeologist was digging deeper 
than ever before and in an unusual location and found under the rubble. See, the whole city of Jerusalem is built on top. Rubble on top of rubble on top of rubble because it's been demolished so many times. Underneath three churches that had been built over the ages, he dug down and he found this mikvah or cleansing pool. And he began asking the question and exhuming the rest of this. And they discovered, lo and behold, five colonnades exactly as John 5 tells us. This was Bethesda. This was the place of mercy. That's what Bethesda means in the Hebrew. The place of mercy. Now, as we move into the passage, I want you to hold on to the validity of God in that context in 1964 to stamp. You can get on YouTube, you Bible scholars, and you can just look this up. And there's multiple YouTube videos of tours given in this particular location. You can see it just laid out. You don't even have to go to Israel. You can see the whole thing. The first section of this passage I asked you to pay careful attention to was this, this word, an invalid. And here's why. The etymology of this word invalid is this. It's, it's this idea of unable. It's this idea of incapable. It's this idea of a feebleness of mind or body. And here's, here's where we as, as the church today, two, some 2,000 years later, need to actually zoom in on the meaning of this word and the context because what we understand very quickly uh, is that it wasn't necessarily even a physical malady and that inside the story we're invited to scrutinize and begin looking at our own soul. You may be the most able-bodied person in the world and your spirit can be absolutely crushed, crippled, lamed, and unable to move or do anything for itself. This is what this word means. Ultimately, it's very simple, a weakness, insipid or decrepit, a place inside that is weak. And here is the question we are immediately challenged with in this story by our God who loves us enough to ask us these questions. What weakness do you have in your life? Now, I know some of you are immediately thinking, I just don't have any weaknesses. I'm perfect. And to you, I have this challenge. Turn to your spouse and ask them if you have a weakness. They are ready, I've talked to them, with a long list of your weaknesses. If for some reason your spouse is not here, turn to your children. They, in the simplest words, will outline your every flaw. I know I'm a parent. And for those of you who don't have those two options, go home and ask your cat. Cats are not Christians, and they are very willing to tell you point blank what all your failures are. See, see we laugh, and yet the reality is this. This room is a level playing field. You do not get to come in this story and think everyone else has weaknesses and you don't. I think the majority of us in this room are very aware of some of our weaknesses. But I know that some of us just quickly dismiss that. I need you to know you're in good company. You're in good company. We're going to go into this story united on this. We have frailties. We have feebleness of mind, of soul of spirit. 
And as we do, as we move in, this next question, and it is the question which drew me to the passage initially when I considered speaking this weekend on this topic, and it is, do you want to get well? First, do you have weaknesses? Then, then from the mouth of our Lord Jesus to the invalid, do you want to get well? It seems like such a simple question that here's what we do. Even we disciples of Jesus, we gloss right over top of it. We think to ourselves, of course I want to get well. That's a silly question. We're gonna get into that more in just a second. But Paul put it perfectly when he wrote in Corinthians of his weakness, hear this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Another way of saying this is recognizing my weaknesses unleashes Jesus' strength. But if you don't recognize that you have weaknesses, if you won't go to that place because you're too afraid, there is nothing that can be done to help you heal. There is nothing that can be done to help you move out of that. There is nothing that can be done to give you mobility. There is nothing that can be done to actually breathe health and wellness and new life and strength into that weakness. We got to start by recognizing what's going on. And so let the spirit do that work in you tonight. Whether you know Jesus and you've known him for a long time, look into the eyes of your spouse. I promise you the Spirit's speaking through them right now. See, we either don't want to admit it, right? The Baptist in me came out a little bit. Admit it or are afraid of it. Are we afraid? Yeah. Or we're anesthetized to it. That means numb. We're numb to it. And some of us have just point blank accepted it. I think in different ways that represents our invalid tonight. And so I'm gonna ask you this question. If Jesus was to stand before you today and ask you that very question, do you want to get well? Do you want help? Do you want to change? What would your answer be? Our invalid's answer is really interesting. The story just gets better. I love these. Human psychology at its finest. The divine interacting with us. Jesus is like, do you want to get well? And the guy looks at him, sir. <laughs> well, sir, there's no one to help me. 
When, when I try to get down to the water, the, the, the water is stirred and you got to get there fast and there's no one to actually help me get in. Or, 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 or when I try, there's, there's people who block me and they stop me and they won't actually let me get in. And, 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 and there's three things here I want to focus on, three things being proclaimed that are so true of us today. And, and they are these. You can write these down if you're taking notes. The first is excuses. The, the second is effort. And the third is experience. And we're going to pull those apart a little bit. We'll start with excuses. We cite, this is what we do, just like, just like our invalid. We cite all the ways our predicament is the exception, right? Why Jesus can't make us well. We say things like, it's not my fault, it's someone else. We point out all the reasons we can't, all our inability, all our incapacity, we fixate. And by doing so, here's what we do. We ally ourselves with our weakness, and against Jesus. I want to I know what your list of exceptions to Jesus' offer of wellness is tonight. I hope you want to know. It, it sounds like this. Let me tell you why it won't work for me. Here's why my marriage is beyond help. Oh, I believe God can help other people's marriages. Yes, absolutely, I believe that. But you don't understand, my marriage is beyond help. You don't understand, Lord, I'm an exception to the rule. Here's why my financial situation is completely insolvent and hopeless forever. Here's why my medical bills are hopeless. Here's, here's why my sin, my sin is, is unforgivable. Here's why my hurt is beyond healing. Here's why my parenting is beyond repair. Here's why my children are damaged goods and can't be repaired. Here's why my bank account isn't accountable to tithing. We, they, we ooze these. They come to us as easily as falling over. And here's what we're doing when we do that. Here's what we're doing. This is us. Let me tell you why I'm the exception to the power of God, you say. And, 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 and Jesus responds, you are not the exception to the power of God because there is no exception to the power of God. I want you to reckon with that reality tonight, folks. There is no exception to the power of God, period. That's it. You either choose or you reject. It moves on. Talk about effort, okay. We fixate on the difficulty and the hardship of the work it will take. Why we can't take action to get well. Remember the first one is why Jesus can't make us well. And the second one is why we can't. See, we have to put in the effort. We have to fight the good fight in order to attain the goal, to win the prize to which we are called. It's simple but essential, we, and we miss it. We miss it all the time. See, here's what's going on in the story. Here's what, here's what the invalid is saying. No one is there to help me. He, you don't understand. This is, this is the lie of self-pity, and it sounds like nobody cares about my situation. The number of times that I catch myself falling prey to self-pity, woe is me. I'm all alone. Nobody's around to help. When help is just around the bend of my choosing, 
just saying, Jesus, help, and boom, it's all over. And this sounds like this to us. Here, here's, here's what we say in response to Jesus. Yes, maybe, given I can keep doing this. Maybe I want healed as long as I keep doing this. Well, probably, probably I do, but only if that particular person, you, you know that one person, you know that person, yeah, yeah, that person. Hmm, that's a complicated question, Lord. You see how unique and unusual my situation is, right? Nobody else has it like I do. I know you personally and all, but perhaps we aren't that close. <laughs> Jeez, uh, I mean, Jesus, uh, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, we'd have to go to some places that smell like feces and urine and my filth because I have to sit here in my squalor every day and you know I've gotten kind of familiar with it. Not that I like it, mind you, but it's what I'm used to. For sure, for sure, Lord, I, I, I do. I want, I want what made well. I just don't want it to hurt at all. Can it not hurt? Or how about this one? That's a dumb question, Lord. Absolutely, I want made well. Just don't rock the boat. Just don't rock the boat of my situation. Just don't start doing surgery on my soul. Deal? There's no deal. Or yes, I, really I do, I guess, but just remember he did this to me and she said that one thing and I just can't let that go. Kind of Lord, maybe, but please don't let it be scary or embarrassing. I don't want to have to drag myself down in front of everybody, get on the edge of the well. But say, I don't want to do that. Or will I be exposed? Would this expose me if I move towards wellness with you? I can handle everything else but exposure with our family name being what it is and all. I need you to hear yourself in the invalid's response. Just like this week, I had to do the brutal work of hearing myself in the invalid's response, okay? Because here's the deal. He's been 38 years in this one particular position. The, the, as you dig into this story, you see multiple reasons that it seems he's gotten very comfortable in his spot along the edge of, of the well, or of the pool at Beth, Bethesda. That, that, he's, that he's gotten to the point where he's actually probably profiting off it. It's likely that he's begging in this location. He's been there plenty long enough to have built relationships where someone would help him to the edge. The, the, he's, he could, you know what? Somebody cuts me off. How about this? You know about when it happens because the earlier text tells us that it happens, uh, the, the, the water is stirred around the time of the, of the feasts. So why couldn't this guy, and I'll give you a visual example. Why couldn't he just say, hmm, I'm gonna actually pull myself I'm gonna pull myself up here to the edge of the well and I'm gonna lay kind of right here and, and I'm gonna get in position and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait and I'm gonna get all, okay, and, and is the water, yep, the water stirred and I go, boom, and I'm down. I thought that was pretty athletic. <laughs> and I'm in the water and you, you quickly see, you quickly see that Jesus is asking him a question because there's absolutely no reason that there's been 38 years of you in that spot. You don't have to stay there. And now I'm coming to you directly and I'm asking you specifically, invalid, 
do you want made well? Now, the third, the third is our experiences. See, we point out all the hurt and trauma and cruelty that has caused our circumstance or our predicament. See, why we're blocked from changing. This is, this is, we feel blocked, we can't get in, and we've got all the reasons that someone always goes down ahead of me. This is the lie of victimization. I'm a victim. Someone else has it in for me. There's no healing that's available for me. There's no wellness or wholeness because somebody else is gonna block me. And sometimes, this is true, sometimes our religious, emotional, and relational experiences in the past have shaped us to believe we are unlovable and beyond hope, causing us to resist being well. In our story, the invalid, after he's made well, seemingly, almost begrudgingly made well, he gets up and he starts moving. And of course, the, the, the Jews, the religious leaders, the legal zealots, they come up to him immediately and they're like, you're not supposed to be carrying your mat on the Sabbath. I mean, they're hitting him in this place of embarrassment, in this place of exposure. He's, he's trying to get out of there as quick as he can and he gets confronted. And, uh, and this is that example. And he, he quickly blames Jesus. Doesn't even know his name. He didn't stop to take time to ask who this guy was that even healed him. I don't know who it was, but it was him. He told me to pick up my mat. He told me to walk. He healed me. I know, I know because I've talked to so many whose religious experiences have actually wounded them, have actually put up barricades, have actually made you feel the cruelty of the church rather than the cross of Jesus Christ. I, <laughs> growing up, I, I grew up in a particular religious uh, um, scenario that when you worship, corporate worship, music, singing, I'll tell you what, it was not done like it's done here at Impact. And I remember almost 12 years ago, walking in here for the very first time, listening to the music and feeling like, oh, people are getting real about their expression to Jesus about the gifts and the talents that they have, about what it means to come together as people in the presence of the Holy Spirit, allowing our spirit out to cry out truth to the beauty of music. I remember what that was like. Every week, I now get to experience it, but I'll tell you, even that first time and second time or third time, I remember the, the, the time I was sitting up near the front because I like sitting up near the front my wife likes sitting near the back so I'm helping her be sanctified and, uh, and I, I, I remember thinking I should raise my hand do that because the song says to do it I wonder who's looking at me I I that this looks so awkward because I don't even sway well to music. I'm probably all the time. I, I grew up in a, in a context, a faith-based context. There were some great things about it, but that was a particular wound. 
you're not free in your expression of worship, that's not okay. Here you are. I hope. Emotional trauma is another part. I know that there's been trauma in our lives that stunts us, it arrests us, it stops us growing. Or relational carnage. I don't know if it's a romantic relationship, I don't know if it's a marriage that's failed. I don't know if it's just a friendship that blew apart, but you've got carnage as it pertains to relationship and you don't know what to do, you don't know the next step to take. The story goes on and Jesus says this to our invalid. He says, get up. And I, I really want you to hear, get up. This is one of those healings where I don't think Jesus was real thrilled with the behavior of the guy he's gonna heal. He's forceful. He, he's intense. He might be even a little bit indignant. Get up. Take up, pick up your mat and walk. And, the, and get up, just, this, is, this is what get up is for us in the text. It's, it's choose change. It's choose change. The word is agarol, agarol. It means to wake up. It's Jesus shaking us. It's, it's him rousing us from the stupor of the choices we've made or the things we've done or the acts we've committed or the things that have been done to us or the insecurity or the inferiority or the resentment or the guilt or the shame or whatever the thing is that has maimed your spirit. He is saying, wake up. You have a choice and I'm standing right in front of you right now. In Deuteronomy, it says this is, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life. He breathes his life. He's aching to give you his life. He wants you to leave that and cleave to who he is, whatever your posture has been before. I don't care if it's unforgiveness, shame, insecurity, inferiority, defeat, hurt, embarrassment, fear, or worry. Whatever lie has held you down, defined you, trapped you, ensnared you, it must no longer be allowed to define your life. It is not who you are. He says, pick it up, pick up that mat covered in your own squalor and your own filth. This is own it. This is own it. Take responsibility, recognize what it is. Be done with the false pretenses. Last fall, I went through a series of experiences with the Lord that broke my heart. I don't know if I want to share it. But I realized, because of his grace, that food had become a god to me. It was numbing parts of me. It was helping me escape realities that I don't want to look at. 
It mattered way too much. It helped keep me from the difficult conversations with my kids. Sometimes it was even an excuse to go out with someone to counsel. And I went out west for 10 days. <laughs> and I had a, a really hard conversation with the Holy Spirit. And I just said, God, at the end of it, I said, if you'll be faithful to keep showing me, I'll be faithful to keep listening. I'll own it. I want your strength, not my weakness. And then walk, walk, leave it. Please leave it. Put distance between yourself and this place and this thing. Don't let it keep eating you alive. And this is the effort part. This is the hard work part. This is the part where you don't just get to pray little prayers and do nothing. Psalm 23, one of our favorite, it gets abused, it gets used so much, says this, yes, though I walk through, through, through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. We were never meant never meant to stay in a place of a crippled, lamed, decrepit, broken spirit. Jesus came for the sole purpose of saying, I'm gonna breathe new life into you. What you thought was impossible, I will show you is so attainable through me. Through me, keep walking. You will experience suffering. Oh yeah, it's gonna be hard work, it's gonna be difficult, but it's gonna be oh so good. Walk through, don't camp out in the valley. Right, can you hear him to the invalid? Get up, don't stay there. I'm right here. See, I want, I want you to hear this power in God's economy, power, strength, comes through suffering. It comes through suffering, not in avoidance or pursuit of comfort. Every single time. Because it hurts to get up. It hurts to pick up. It hurts to walk. Imagine the muscles that were atrophied. And you don't get to just walk. You got to keep walking. You don't get to just go a few feet and stop. You actually have to access those muscles and exercise those muscles the next day and the next day and the next day. This is a daily movement towards Jesus. This is, this is that idea of motion and throughness. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going. And then, and then here's, what, here's the last section I ask you to, to be attentive to here. And we're going to be done. It says, later, 
Jesus found the man in the temple. Again, historic documents, some deeper research indicates to us that the guy was actually back in the temple, probably begging again. It's a different location, but doing the same thing that he had been doing before. And so Jesus is not real happy. He's not real happy. This is an assertive word. He says, see, see, you are well again. 38 years you stayed there. I'm incredulous. What are you doing here? Why are you back at the same place? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, I need to be really careful with that because whole false theologies have been built on the idea that everything that happens to you that may be negative is somehow the result of your sin. That's not true. I will say this. Everything that happens in the world that is part of the brokenness and the hurt of creation is a result of sin, but it is not necessarily your sin. In this case, our Lord and Savior is challenging a guy because he's like you're doing the same thing that's going to lead to the same result only this time it's going to be worse truth the truth will set you free but first it's going to mess you up and so now you got to live in that truth you got to keep moving forward here's here's what it boils down to bottom line Jesus is, is looking at him and, he, and he's telling us this. The, the, the results of relationship with Jesus are life. Their wellness, their growth, their mobility over time. The results of rejection, which is sin, is death. It's fear, it's entrapment, and it's misery. So don't go back to it. Think of the mercy of the Lord Jesus to seek this guy out in the temple. He's looking for him and he finds him to have another conversation, a second chance conversation with him. If we choose to hold on to the things that have broken us, to harbor worry, fear, unbelief, if we're more interested in being comfortable, laying in unforgiveness, blame, habitual sin, or self-pity by embracing our mat and tenaciously holding on to it, we reject the relationship with the healer. Jesus won't pry the mat of our self-pity or self-doubt or self-loathing or self-contempt or self-destruction or self-depreciation or self-denunciation or self-deceit out of our cold, clammy fingers. He won't do it, but he'll get as close as he possibly can. He'll stand right in front of you and say, I am here. He, he cannot and will not override your will built into the fabric of the universe. You get to choose him. He, he, he won't come up, demand, rip open your fingers, wrench away your infirmity. He sets before us life and death, prosperity and destruction and asks, what will you choose today? I'm life, sin is death. Who will you become? What do you want to turn toward and turn into? Into our foul cesspool of toxic sludge, he brings Bethesda, the place of mercy, cleansing, freedom, wellness, 
brings it right to us. You don't even got to get down there to, I'll find you. But you do have to choose. I just, if you find yourself stuck in a spot, on a mat, immobile, you feel like you can't get to the water for healing, that there just hasn't been the help you need to get well. Well, I am calling you out today. I'm telling you he's here. He's been here. He's waiting with yearning and longing in his heart to get to that place inside yours that harbors that thing that needs wholeness and sanitized and bandaged and massaged and repaired and regenerated. He's here commanding, not asking. He doesn't ask. I'm asking. He's telling. He's looking to make a new you out of the old original material of your makeup. He's ready to start writing new code into the DNA of your dissipation, dripping new cells into your spiritual regeneration. He's here. He is calling. He was born ready, born ready. And the move is yours. Get up and pick up and start walking. Put distance between where you have been and where he is taking you. That story of Jeremy's has more. Check this out. I decided to be baptized because I felt that that is one of the strongest and most powerful way to reach out to Christ and to say, I'm yours. I want God to know that I am, for one, I, I, I'm very sorry and not necessarily ashamed of the way that I've acted in our relationship and I want to start my life from here on out to the day that I die is going to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm doing a baptism. Jeremy Michael Waugh, you confess that Jesus has forgiven your sins as you have cried out to him in repentance. I do. Jeremy, based on your profession of faith and your confession of who Jesus is to you, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
there is help. There's help here. See, the, the crazy part is, even after Jesus left and ascended in heaven, rose to life so we could have newness of life, even after he did that, he sent his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit makes us the incarnate presence of Jesus. See, incarnate simply means flesh inhabited by God. And if we believe that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then we are the incarnate presence of Jesus for one another. Jeff Stewart, Jeff, are you here? Can you stand up, dude? I really would like you to stand up. I wanna thank you because of what you did to go ours and love the way Jesus loved. That's the incarnate presence of Jesus. And that's rescue and that's help. We have life groups here. They're gonna start up just a few weeks gearing up for it. Would you put it in your day planner, in your calendar? Would you plan on that? That'll be a help. We have a prayer team here that longs to pray with you, that longs to invite the miracle of Jesus over and over into the places that you feel the most maimed and the weakest. Come up, they'll pray with you. We have a care team here that wants to go out to help you understand, to help you do the hard work to get different results. We have counselors, counselors that will be the incarnate presence of Jesus for you, to help you grasp yourself and act in a way that produces change in your life. And we've got friends here. Sounds a little cheesy, it's not. We have people that will befriend you if you need a friend, that will walk alongside you, that will help you get to the place of mercy. And, and we have baptism. And that's what I wanna leave you with. Baptism, Jay preached last week on baptism, did a marvelous job. And this is the truth. The truth is that baptism is a expression of covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are leaving the old, being regenerated into the new. And I need you to see that testimony of Jeremy. And if there is a place, if there is a weakness, if there is a thing that you need to declare the eminence of Jesus Christ over, the healing, the reconciliation, the work, the resurrection of his life over you, then you go sign up for baptism class and you get here tomorrow at 10. No excuses, put in the effort. Don't let past experiences stop you. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for your word. I am so grateful that you are willing to tell us the truth so that the truth will set us free that you come to us as the truth, that you stand in front of us and invite us. I just ask tonight that we would be wholly and completely yours. We would be committed to that journey forward. Lord, we love you. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have a good evening.